scripture reading today is Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. After the reading, we'll have a time of silent reflection. So listen and pay attention to the words and phrases that stand out to you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Good morning. What a great day. I've been listening to some old cassette tapes of the vicar, rector, whatever he's called, at the Anglican Church in London that John Stott was at, and Michael Bone followed him. And at one of, and so these are 30 years old, but boy, the, the message is still, you know, so right there. And um, this week, one of the ones he was saying, he said, well, he said, God has removed my fear of large crowds. Well, God has not referred, re done that for me, even a, this group. So bear with me as we go through this together. It's a wonderful opportunity to be able to start off this unique summer series of New Testament one another phrases. The last time Phil asked me to preach, we were in Burma and he gave me one day's notice. This time I was really happy to have access to compu a computer and books, and I noticed that whatever time is allotted, it still takes us that long to do it. So it doesn't matter whether it's one day or several weeks. In the July newsletter, Phil writes that there are approximately 50 one another phrases in the New Testament. Among them, those that we know, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. 
but I particularly appreciated his words, you can't one another by yourself. Isn't it true? And it puts us right there, for indeed we can't. And more importantly, thank goodness we don't have to. When it comes to matters of faith and navigating the journey we walk with Jesus, we have each other. And I view this as a merciful blessing. How about you? And I must say, I love this particular community. It is a great place to be. I became a Christian in my 40s in the lovely Pacific Northwest city of Bellingham, Washington. I wasn't invited by someone to church. No one was putting the squeeze on me. But I had come to a place in my life that my life was not working for me anymore. I found myself on my knees in the middle of the night saying, okay, God, I have not found the peace I desire. So if there's anything to this asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, that's what I'm doing here. That was it. There were no bells. There were no whistles. There was no voice. The next Sunday, I kept it to myself. I began my quest of visiting churches. I figured that was probably the best way to go forward. Of course, I know now that at that moment that I was on my knees, the Holy Spirit himself became my mentor. Observations and intuitions I was, I was making were not of my own knowledge. I didn't know that then, but I sure know that now. I found a 6.30 a.m. weekday women's Bible study in a restaurant, which provided a very personal community that helped me enormously in understanding my new faith. They were studying the attributes of God, and frankly, I didn't know that God had attributes. Oh, how they must have rolled their eyes, but I never noticed. I was too thrilled with the study of the word. I found a second church during this time, which gave me a glorious worship experience on Sunday morning. The pastor had been a missionary in India, and he was a young man. It brought a flavor totally new to me. And then after about a year or so, I finally settled in to my new church home, Birchwood Presbyterian. The seedlings grew deeper. I was fortunate, for all of them contributed a solid start as I began building a new life in Christ. Each taught me the one another in community concept, and I'm indebted to them. My friend and prayer partner in Bellingham is named Dorothy. Before that Sunday, I knew she was a Christian. We were friends, but she knew that I was, I knew she was a Christian. She certainly knew I was not one. And you know, every time we got together, I had that feeling, this is going to be the time. She's going to pitch me, try to make me a conversion, you know, convert me. But it never came. I didn't tell her right away after I had made my, my quest of God that I desired him. And that summer, which we were, I was about six months in to my Christian walk, there was a friend of mine from California, and she was visiting, and she'd just been to the Holy Land. So I invited some friends, and Dorothy, of course, to come and hear what she had to say. This weekend, I was chatting with her, 
And she s and I told her where I was going to be this morning. And she said, would you have believed back in 1982 if I would have told you that 30 plus years from now, you're going to be living in Salt Lake City and you're going to preach at your church? The thought of it was just like, who could believe that? I mean, I'm in Bellingham, Washington. Ooh, Salt Lake City. I mean, the whole thing was just unbelievable. And as she said that, we both really laughed. The journey with the Lord is always unexpected, surprising, fulfilling. And it's anything but dull. So as we turn to this morning's scripture from Romans 12, we see that the specific one another phrase is verse 16. But it is helpful and important, I think, to read Paul's teachings in context. It is said that while each book of the Bible is important, if there is one book every Christian should understand, it would be Romans. Its basic theme is the righteousness of God. In chapters 1 through 11, he's laying out the groundwork for the life of a Christian, the eternal plan of God and the doctrinal truths are covered in those first 11 chapters. Then in the beginning of chapter 12 to the end, Paul gives the basis of Christian life, that which we do in community. Dr. William Wearsby is a prolific author. You may have read some of his things. He's a former pastor at, at Mooney Memorial Church in Chicago and a Bible teacher on the radio broadcast of Back to the Bible. He says in his outline of Romans, he titles the five chapters, the final five chapters of Romans, service. But he titles the specific verses this morning as a soldier in battle. I found out, find that a very helpful outline. Basically, the bottom line is we are not to live in this world alone or as fighting Christians. We are, however, a soldier in battle. Make no mistake about that. Certainly at this time in our world, there's just a lot of hostility in and between all types of groups. I mean, we can't turn the news on. We can't look at a newspaper. We can't hear anything without knowing that. And now we have Paul instructing us how to live with an emphasis on those who do not share our belief. Paul starts Romans 12 by saying that the manifestation of not being conformed to the present world and of being transformed by the renewing of the mind is seen in the believer's new estimate of himself. And in the world, and in this world, I feel we are bombarded on all sides to exalt ourselves, not the Lord. Fortunately, Paul addresses this in the second half of chapter 12 with his counsel on humility and love and self-control. So we begin with verse 14. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. Hmm. This perhaps this sounds familiar. It isn't the first time in the New Testament we've heard it. If you have your Bibles, you might want to look back to Matthew 5. At the end of Beatitudes, in verses 10 and 12, and see what the Lord is telling us. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when people insult you, persecute you, 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were here before you. The collective verses of the Beatitudes, verses 1 to 12, really show how a person begins with his or her own sense of sin and finally becomes a child of God, and the results then follow. There are verses dealing with attitudes that ought to be, you know, attitudes that ought to be, be attitudes in our life as true Christians. It is worth taking time to read them in this context. This is what Jesus has spoken. Back in Romans, Paul continues by showing us not only the responsibility of Christians to other Christians, but to relationships with those outside the church. It is a set of ethical guidelines for community and to guard against problems of disunity in the Roman church. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You know, don't you think these are two things that churches do really, really well? Many of us have been on the receiving end of the ministry of our deacons in the church where there's, when there's a crunch in our life. Our Stephen ministers do extraordinary outgoing outreach with individuals. Our pastoral care in all of life's challenges and victories is second to none. Coming together in grief and in joy is an amazing blessing of the body of Christ. It is one another as good as it gets. Now we're at verse 16, the one another verse on which we focus this morning. Very simple. Live in harmony with one another. What is it, what is it to live in harmony? I suggest it is to address the issue of self-control. I suggest it isn't about what someone else does. I think we're talking kind versus unkind, helpful versus unhelpful, kindliness versus indifference. And let's recognize that sometimes the use of one or the other comes in a split-second decision. I'm pretty much a naturally positive person. The time I have the most difficulty keeping positive is when I'm driving. Most of the time, I have to have Christian or classical music on. My mind just goes places I have no idea I've ever been before. So sometimes when my mind wanders to the mundane, I often have to talk out loud and bring myself back. I've noticed at those times how easy it is to be critical. Petty annoyances. Why is that car following so closely? Or I get to a four-way stop. It was my turn. Why'd that guy go before me? Then I also use this time to wave the other car through, regardless of whose turn it is. And I have noticed in those times of extending a small kindness to another driver, the immediate reaction is often a smile because it's so unexpected and perhaps a return wave. You know, that's sort of an immediate reward. 
Think about last week. Can you remember a moment when you extended kindness, no matter how small, and maybe you got a response that was surprising because so often we don't, we don't have those experiences? My daughter was saying, who lives in Singapore, was saying this week, <laughs> we were talking about this idea, and she said, oh, in Singapore, everybody is indifferent. You don't, I mean, if you say something nice or you smile or say thank you, they just look at you. What is wrong with you? She said, I have never seen a group of people who are so indifferent. Okay, these are small insignificant issues, but starting here is easy as we get to harmony. I confess that maybe 80% of the time I have this small kindness in me, and the other 20%, well, I wonder why I didn't choose to be the better me. Am I? And I'm disappointed in myself because it's so easy to extend a modest consideration. It's effortless. Okay, that's the light stuff. In areas of more weighty significance, those areas where critical and important choices we make have a lasting or far-reaching impact, positive and negative, there is where we really need to listen to Paul and pay attention to Paul's guidance. Are there family relationships that have gone askew? Are there friendships we wish we could repair? Are there complications in a work environment? I know a bit about all of them. I have a second daughter, and her name is Cheryl. We have not seen or talked to her in over 15 years. I don't like it, but I don't replay it over and over as I did in the early years. On occasion, my advice to others having similar issues is don't stop talking. I pray for her, but not as often as I used to. I am grateful that I've stopped being angry and that I've stopped beating myself up with the should-haves. What I do know is that God loves her more than I ever could. And I simply just ask him to protect her and pray that she has peace. What about you? Are there fragile relationships in your family? I don't know the answers, but I know where to go to search for comfort and guidance. And if you are in a period of calm, I know you must give thanks for that, and in our community together, we rejoice with you. Friendships have a fragility and should have special care and not taken for granted. I lost the friendship of their very, very dear friend and sister in Christ over 20 years ago. There's still sadness. We had some wonderful trips and times together. But I have another longtime friend where feelings have been hurt and we both felt our friendship was worth more than whatever those feelings were. That friendship is stronger and closer today, and we work at keeping it that way, even with distance between us. What about you? Are there fragile friendships in your life? It shows us to never take anything for granted. Relationships are precious, and it's important to nourish them. Work environments can sometimes be tricky. Most of the time, we don't have control over situations that occur. With a background in human resources, I saw a lot of them over the years. But here is the thought I wanted to share in general. 
to work and life experiences over which we have no control. It's not startling, but it has come back to me so often as I look at newspaper articles or listen to the news. It's just a concept in general that has been a help to me to keep things in perspective. It was advice I received from the man who mentored me to negotiate labor contracts. I was employed in a cement plant, and sometimes sitting around the negotiating table was not an easy or a pleasant task, especially as the only woman. But what Jack taught me is if both sides leave the table a little unhappy, then there is a contract that will be workable. When we draw a line in the sand, it's all over. Of course, Jack also liked to quote the Kenny Rogers song, knowing when to hold him, knowing when to fold him, knowing when to put him down and when to walk away. In its way, that's probably fairly good advice. What about you? How do you react to events over which you have no control? It is in those times we need to be the composure and dignity of Christ and trust him to help us do, to do it. The rest of verse 16 is do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I found reading Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer very compelling in so many ways. This is the book that he wrote of the common life that he lived with 25 um, vicars in the underground seminary in Germany in the late 1930s. There is a chapter on ministry, and he begins it by quoting Luke 9, 46. There arose a reasoning among them. Which of them should be the greatest? He writes that it is vitally necessary that every Christian community from the very outset face this dangerous enemy squarely and eradicate it. He summed up Paul's words in verse 16b, writing, he who would learn to serve must first learn to think little of himself. Let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think, and be not wise in your own conceits. Bonhoeffer continues elsewhere, strong and weak, wise and foolish, gifted or ungifted, pious or impious, the diverse individuals in the community are no longer incentives for talking and judging and condemning and thus excuses for self-justification. They are, rather, cause for rejoicing in one another and serving one another. Each member of the community is given his particular place, but his is no longer the place in which he can most successfully assert himself, but the place where he can best perform his service. Humility at its best. Certainly Paul and Bonhoeffer tell us how to put our learning into practice and remind us of our spiritual duties. I thought it would be interesting. I've, I've been on this message kick since 
PBS. And so we're going to look at Romans 12, 9 through 21 from the message. And we're going to do something that we're going to read it together because I want to see what it sounds like for all of us to read it in a contemporary language and, and the impact that I feel that it will have for each one of us. So we start. Together, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't sit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Life isn't an easy trek, and scripture doesn't tell us it is, or that it will be. There will be pain and suffering, as well as joy and gladness. Paul is giving food to sustain us for the long journey and the assurance that we don't have to do it by ourselves. So do we always want to be right, or do we want to experience peace? Do we want our way at all costs, or do we want harmony? Do we want to play zero-sum, where there must be a winner and a loser? Do we want to be in control, or could we learn how to bend like a stalk of bamboo in the wind? How do we do this one another thing? Well, one place to start would be finding points of agreement. We can remember that we are not to conform to the standards of the world, and we are to meet our neighbors in humblest of mind and in modesty. We are to rebuff every form of pride in relationships. We're not to be snobbish, but take an interest in all people. Let us be drawn to the ordinary things where we might be a blessing. And the NIV says, don't be conceited, because surely this is the opposite of Christian love and behavior. Praise God that our Savior Jesus told us, 
and then our outspoken Apostle Paul reiterated our spiritual duties. We are loved. We are in community to put our learning into practice. What is one thing different you will do this week? Maybe we will see an opportunity where we are able to extend grace in a most unexpected way. Let's look for it. As our take home, we're going to continue reading but the first part of Romans 12 because it really is what we're speaking to. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all God has given me, and especially as I've responsible in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning. But as chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. 
how blessed we are to be able to do what we do in community with one another. Praise be to God. <laughs>